Amen. Thank you, Roman. Longing to know God. When I was a, a kid, probably around 10, 11 years old, uh, my mom's here this morning, by the way, so glad she's here with us as well. But uh, in our house in Cherry Street, I'm sitting there in the living room, just sitting there on the floor looking at our massive entertainment unit that my grandpa and my dad built. And it built it specifically to house, you know, the TV, the correct dimensions for the TV right in the middle, black and white TV back then, uh, the, the books uh, for the bookcases and all that, and knickknacks that were all lined up there, and you had a place for the speakers on the side and the stereo equipment. And right there on the bottom, in the middle, was the space for the records. Remember the records? Remember records? Those of you who are kids, let me show you what a record looks like. Here we go. Here's a record, like a giant CD. Uh, they're actually coming back in vogue now, and that, which is pretty cool. I love records. But I was sitting there listening to a record, and it was probably maybe even one of these. Amy Grant, Dallas Holman Praise, David Meese, right? Back in the day. And I'm sitting there when all of a sudden it happens. From within my soul, just kind of coming out, there's this overwhelming sense of longing, this Desire that, that, that for something beyond the here and now, this longing for God, this longing for the heavenly, this, this longing for the spiritual, for this longing for heaven. And, and as soon as it came, it, it was gone. And, and then there was that longing to have that same feeling that I just had. And, and there was a sense of longing. And I didn't even know what it was and didn't even really tell anybody about it. Uh, but, but since then, I've come to realize that we have all been built with a sense of longing within us. That God has placed within us this sense of longing for God. That it's a good thing. And those longings are a good thing. And so uh, that sense of longing is something that we're going to be talking about over the, the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about the longing for identity. Uh, the longing for purpose, the longing to be known, the longing to make an impact in the world, the longing for a sense of wonder. Those longings are healthy and they're, and they're good. But, but sometimes when those longings come up, we don't know exactly what to do with them. And too often we fill that void with the wrong thing. We, we fill that sense of longing with cheap imitations that the world offers that don't really satisfy the longings of our soul. But we all have a longing within us to know God. In fact, theologians have written extensively about this over the centuries. Augustine of Hippo wrote these famous words, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Blaise Pascal wrote these words, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help which cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Or from the, the famous author C.S. Lewis, he writes these words, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. Uh, 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Lewis would talk about this longing in all of his writings, that we have been placed by God with these longings to know him. And that those longings help point us to God and point us to Jesus. We often, we all have a longing to know God. But too often, here's the problem, our image of God gets so marred that we don't truly know that God is who we are seeking. Because we have an image of God and we think, I'm not really seeking after that because that doesn't satisfy. That makes sense? Let me explain it uh, this way. How many of you have ever been water skiing before? Anybody? Yeah? How many of you like water skiing? There we go. <laughs> Let me tell you about my one experience water skiing. My mom knows the story. She was there. I was a kid. We went with some friends, went out in the lake, and they were going to take us water skiing. I'd been snow skiing multiple times. I thought, I'm looking forward to this. We're out in the lake. It's a good, great day. So I'm behind the boat, you know, I'm on my skis and, and I'm holding on to the rope and we're trying to get up and, you know, getting up is half the battle, just trying to get up. And, and so doing that a couple of times, it was like the second or third time I'm trying to get up and I, and I kind of fall backwards, but I don't let go of the rope because I think I can pull myself up, right? Well, fail. And, uh, and so all of a sudden the rope is ripped out of my hands and it scrapes the top of my legs and I have bruises on the top of my legs, no lie, for six months. Now, so when someone talks about water skiing to me, uh, do you think my enjoyment of water skiing is tainted by my experience? Absolutely. I want nothing to do with water skiing. I have no desire. So if someone's talking about how great water skiing is, I'm like, that's great for you. Have fun. I'll pass. See, I had a, a bad experience, so my whole worldview of water skiing is tainted. So if, it's the same with God, our image of who God is. That's so often the way it is when, we, when, we, when it comes to knowing God. Too many of us have had bad experiences, whether it was at church or with a fellow Christian or, or just life itself can cause us to get a wrong image of who God is. So we don't seek after God. We have that longing, but we don't seek after God because that picture is marred, and we don't want that. So we try to fill that longing with other things, wrong ideas. We keep playing the wrong narrative, the wrong story. Let me give you even a better example. In the Gospels, we read how... Uh, Jesus talks about God as our heavenly Father. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we start out by saying, Our Father that art in heaven. Yeah? And so many of you, though, grew up with absent fathers. Some of you may have even had abusive fathers. So when you think of God as Father, your outlook might be tainted, right? Makes sense? See, the problem, I believe, isn't the term Father, I don't believe we stop using the term. That doesn't really solve our problem. The problem is, is that we start with our limited understanding of what a father is, and then we place that on God. 
So when we think of God as Father, we might imagine someone who's absent from our lives. Or we might imagine God as angry or abusive or someone who could care less. Now, if I had that image of God, I wouldn't want that either. I would want nothing to do with it. But rather, we have to redefine what fatherhood truly is. And, and, and we use as our guide the words of Scripture, and specifically the words of Jesus. When, when Jesus calls God Father, we have to use Jesus' definition of Father. God and Jesus define what fatherhood means. And we look to that definition to define what the relationship of what a father is. And if our experience doesn't line up with that, then we have to come to grips that our earthly father didn't fulfill the role of what a father was supposed to do. So back to our longing to know God. Who is God? What is God like? For that, I turn to Scripture. And the text I, I want us to specifically look at was the, the text that Roman just read just a second ago from 1 John. This is a beautiful passage of what I think the primary attribute of God is, and that's love. God is love. And we need to think about that. This, to me, is the primary attribute of God's characteristic. And so as we think about God as love, as I read through this, uh, just re redefine and make sure you're staying on track with who God is. Here we go again. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God. And God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this that we have, may have boldness that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. There is so much in this passage I wish we could uh, talk about this morning. But, uh, but I want us to focus on a couple of things. And the first is this. God is love. But even in that statement, let's say it together. God is love. The statement itself, though, we have to define the terms. Because in today's world, we all define love differently. And the world gives us all these different ideas of what love really is. And so just as if we have a wrong definition of love, then we get a wrong image of God. Just as if we have a wrong image of the Father, we get a wrong image of God as Father. So we have to dig a little deeper when it comes to seeing God as love. So what is John telling us about God? The essence of who God is is love. Now hear this. I'm not saying that all love is God, but that the essence of God is love. But when we talk about God as love, I like to add a word in front of it. A word I believe that can better define what God is love truly means today. 
especially in our warped society, about love. And that's the word holy. Holy love. Holy love to me is the defining attribute of who God is. Holy love. Think about that. This is a type of love that's just not, it's not a mushy, fly-by-night type of love, but this is a deep, resounding, intentional, purposeful, perfecting love. And if we have this image of God as holy and loving, a love that purifies, a love that desires the best for us, a love that is extravagant and sacrificial, I think that helps us to understand, to have a a good picture of who God is. So I want us to look a little deeper at the text from, from 1 John to see more clearly. When John talks about this divine characteristic of who God is, then we have to understand that God's ultimate expression of his holy love is in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And we read these words. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a beautiful passage. God's expression of his love is in the sending of Jesus, the sending of himself. And I love how John explains that, that God loved us first. God loved us first. Picture that. We didn't love God first. He pursued us. He is seeking after us. Next is the holiness part of God's love. It goes on and says this, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. That's that part of holiness. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected, made holy in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. That's that holy part of God's love. That It's that part of that confession of Jesus, what we believe, who we are, that, that compels us to love one another. That's the holy part. It's not just enough to say, I love you, and then just walk away. God's love should compel us to love him back and to love others. And that love comes through the testimony of Jesus and also by the abiding of his spirit. We've talked about that uh, recently, that, that God doesn't leave us alone, that he gives us his spirit that, that speaks through us. So we have a love that seeks to heal and perfect us. And in this love, we're called to love others through Jesus. And, and we read on, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It goes on to say, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. I love those verses. There is no fear in love. But see, we, we get caught up, and this is where we have struggle. Because many of us have fear when it comes to God. And I think part of the reason is because we have a wrong image of who God is. We fear God incorrectly. And it, in the text, it said, you know, we don't have to, to worry about punishment, but we worry about punishment, don't we? But also, I think we worry about punishment is because we have a wrong idea of punishment. Now, when I punish my children, it's because I want to be in closer relationship and I want to make sure our relationship is close. We often think of punishment as separating, pushing away. But in the kingdom of God and in family dynamics, when it comes to punishment, it's all for the purpose of building the family relationship 
closer to making sure that we take care of each other, that everyone does their roles and does their part and does it correctly in love. See, we, we too often think if we make a mistake, God won't love us and wants to punish us. Again, God might punish us, but only so that our relationship can grow and be better. And only because he want, loves us. He wants the best for us. But that's what I long for. Perfect love where there is no fear. A love for God that has no fear. We have a longing to know God. But to know God, we have to know what he is like. And that's what he is like. He is holy love. There's another example. And in fact, this is a a biblical example. God is compared to a bridegroom that has fallen in love with his bride. Now, those of you who are married, you, you might understand that image. Those of you who have ever fallen in love, you might understand that image. God is like a bridegroom who has fallen in love with his bride. I remember the day my wife and I were married. I stood up at the altar. The doors open. There she comes down the aisle. All eyes are on her. She's perfect. Right? Guys, you remember that day? You who are married? Perfect. Perfection. Nothing better in the world. Right? She comes down and we, we hold hands. We go through those vows. It's amazing. It's the best thing in the world, right? But here's the thing. Don't tell her. But I knew she had flaws. I knew her idiosyncrasies. I knew she wasn't perfect. She knew I wasn't perfect either. But, but did that matter? As she's walking down the aisle, I didn't see those flaws. What did I see? The bride, right? The bride. That's what God is like. He looks at you and he doesn't say, oh, you've made a lot of mistakes. You're, uh, you're flawed there. You're, you've let yourself get out of shape a little bit. No. What does God see? He sees the bride. Perfection. And, and he says, you know, those flaws, we'll work on those together. But man, I love you. That is who God is. That is the way God is. So when we have a longing for God, I want us to have that image. Those other images are marred. But in that love of God, we are called to love him back and love others. But isn't that the way it is? If someone loves us that much, we we just naturally want to love them back, right? If you're wondering about your lack of love for God... I would say a lot of times it's because we have a wrong image of who God is. We think he's mad at us. We think that we have to get better before he'll like us. He likes you right now. We'll work on those sin issues, but he loves you. And I pray that your love of God would grow in perfection, that you have no fear in love. Let us pray. Thank you, God. We thank you for your extravagant love, your holy love that perfects us and is like a bridegroom who has fallen in love. Thank you for that image, we pray in your holy name. Amen.